0: With the 21st Century Cures Act being signed into law, what's the potential impact of a variety of health data privacy and security-related provisions in this sweeping legislation that's aimed at greatly advancing medical innovation? I'm Marianne Kobasak mcgee Executive Editor of Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Attorney Stephen Tepler of Abbott Law Group. Stephen will be discussing some of the key privacy and security-related provisions of the 21st Century Cures Act, and their potential impact on healthcare entities and patients. So now, Stephen, the 21st Century Cures Act seems to have a pretty wide span of reach in terms of potentially touching many aspects of medical research and innovation in healthcare. That includes funding for the Obama administration's Precision Medicine Initiative and Cancer Moonshot, as well as mental health and substance abuse related reforms. Many of these initiatives are dependent on health IT and secure information sharing. So with that said, are there any provisions that in particular stand out to you in terms of potential impact, good or bad, on the privacy and security of patient health data and why?
1: The language of the statute so far as I can see, and, and it's fresh hot off the press, so how it's interpreted remains to be seen. But the admonition to keep information private and secure seems to be fairly broad, but not very focused. It's broad in terms of its expansive coverage over a wide variety of legislative venues. But I don't think it does much more than to say, thou shalt keep information secure and privacy secure and as required by law. And that law may be HIPAA, that law may be common law requirements. The issue being also to what extent can any of these admonitions be audited? How can they be checked? I mean, how do you, how do you, do you self-certify? Do you have an, an independent auditor come in to do a security health check on you? It's, you know, the, the statute is not clear.
0: So Stephen also dropped from the legislation that had been passed earlier by the House but then later revamped was a controversial provision that essentially called for changes to the HIPAA privacy rule that would have allowed patients' health data to be used or shared for some research purposes without authorization by the patient. Instead, the legislation that's been passed – by both the Senate and the House and signed into law by President Obama, calls for the creation of a new working group to study and to report to HHS with recommendations on whether the uses and disclosures of PHI for research need to be modified while protecting individuals' privacy rights. So with that said, do you think current HIPAA privacy rule restrictions are potentially stifling to medical research and innovation, and why? And do you think there's a need for more or better guidance for healthcare entities and patients about the risks and reward of patients authorizing their data to be used for research? One of the criticisms has been that patients don't often know where their health data is flowing, and potentially for research purposes.
1: It depends what you define first of all as research. If if you have a for-profit startup in Silicon Valley that just wants to monetize information and resell it to research facilities, is it then conducting research? What what qualifies as research facility? Number two is how can the de-anonymization of information be prevented. In other words, if you have enough points of information about an individual, you probably could identify them with pretty fair certainty. And that becomes more and more possible, more and more likely as time and technologies, especially predictive analytics and and other deep diving types of investigatory software takes a stand. So my question is, how do you prevent all this research, number one, from, A, being sold and then resold many times? And in the end, for whose benefit is this really, if maybe this is being put for a research purpose once, but sold for profit five times beforehand? And if so, where is the patient's interest, A, in keeping the potentially de-anonymizing information out from the hands of, commercial entities or security vulnerabilities in these entities who may or may not have any interest in doing, in so doing. And B, you know, if it's the patient's health information and people are making money off that, perhaps the patient in its, you know, in pure entrepreneurial sense should be able to recapture some of that. There is no guidance as to that. There is is no recognition of the business of research versus the aspirational, socially beneficial endpoints that research is typically being touted as being.
0: So now, Stephen, you mentioned there's the lack of guidance for that. In the meantime, the Act does call for HHS developing various guidance, including guidance related to the HIPAA permitted sharing of mental health and substance abuse data. When it comes to mm-hmm. that type of patient information sharing, do you think there is still a lot of confusion among healthcare providers and patients about what sensitive information can and cannot be
1: shared? Very possibly. You know, what is mental health information? What if mental health information is combined? With physical health information, how does one tease that apart? Is a patient's usage of an antidepressive a mental health situation or is that a pure medical condition treatment? We don't know. There are rules for treating uh, certain types of medical information more carefully than others. The work group, uh, you know, to me, when you mention work group, you're talking two or three years down the line. By the time two or three three years happens, you're going to have first of all you're having an explosion in telematics and health informatics. That cat may be out of the bag by then. I don't know that you'll be able to retroactively capture petabytes and petabytes and petabytes of data that may not be covered or cared for or curated by what might be the recommendations coming out of this work group. And even if the recommendations come out of this work group, how do those recommendations seek to gain the force of regulation? You know, if it's going to be a regulation, you're talking perhaps another two years of notice and comment. Now, one problem here is, you know, much like in the IoT and the Internet of Things space, technology so far advances so far and so quickly that by the time you actually implement controls or rules or regulations technology is already beaten has already beaten rules and regulations to the punch and at best they're obsolete at worst they probably might do harm
0: Now, Stephen, the legislation also calls for civil monetary penalties of up to $1 million per violation for organizations that participate in intentional information blocking, in other words, preventing health data to be shared in ways that HIPAA permits. What's your take on that provision? Do you think it will encourage more information sharing, or do you think it could be opening up a new can of worms?
1: I think that it could open up a new can of worms because, you know, this may be nothing more than than a parking ticket because you're talking about businesses that make hundreds of millions of dollars. Then you have to look at the enforcement capability that the government will permit and I am not that hopeful that, that there won't be a hue and cry against big government incursion into enterprise that's not called for. So I... Again, and not sure, you know, while their hearts are in the right place, I'm, I, their minds may not have been focused on the business realities, on the economic realities as well.
0: And so now, looking ahead, Stephen, are there any potential ramifications of these provisions in the 21st Century Cures Act as they pertain to privacy and security that could pose problematic moving ahead, in your opinion? And if so, what sorts of problems?
1: If what is promulgated as a result of this act winds up being a watered down requirement, then it will do more harm than good. And, you know, I, my suggestion would be to say, look who the interested parties are who come to the table to try to influence the working group or who comprises the working group. And you'll see which way that wave is going to be headed.
0: And, Stephen, the other thing is that, again, this legislation has been worked on for almost three years. And while it's been hammered out, legislators really didn't know who would be taking over the White House in 2017. Do you think the way that some of these provisions do wind up playing out will be influenced by a Trump administration versus Clinton being in the Oval Office come January?
1: I think almost certainly it will. I think you will probably have more of a business-oriented approach to, to the promulgation of these regulations. And so I expect there to be a fairly robust debate, shall we say, between the, the factions who are seeking to issue the report of the working groups.
0: Thanks, Stephen. I've been speaking to attorney Stephen Tepler.
1: I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.